Welcome to Moving the Needle, a podcast of the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology. I am your host, Dr. Dina Valachi, president of the AANA. Thanks for tuning in. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Mary Wakefield. Dr. Wakefield was named by President Obama to serve as the Acting Deputy Secretary of the United States Department of Health and Human Services. And prior to that, she was appointed as the Administrator of the Health Resource and Services Administration. She has also served as Chief of Staff to two North Dakota Senators, Kent Conrad and Quentin Burdick. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Wakefield. Please tell us more about yourself. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you today, of course. So I'm a nurse. I'm not a CRNA, sorry to say. Perhaps what will be a little bit of interest to your audience and to you is that much earlier in my career, and I mean decades ago when I had finished my undergraduate nursing program, a couple of years after practicing in acute care, most of that time in critical care, I thought about becoming a CRNA. And at the time, I applied to two different programs, one that was preparation for a CRNA, the other that would provide a master's degree in medical surgical nursing and teaching. And do you know, probably as we sit here today, the only reason that I'm not one of you, that I'm not a CRNA, is because the first response that came back was that program that was the, yes, you can, will take you to become a teacher of nursing and get a minor in medical surgical nursing. The CRNA acceptance came about a month later. And at that time I said, gosh, would you guys wait for me? Could you hold my acceptance for a year? They said, yes. But by that time, a year later, I was sort of down that one trajectory. So that's a little bit about my background and how it intersects with CRNAs and also with AANA, an organization that I have tremendous respect for and that I've been privileged to be a part of programs periodically throughout my career. So again, a pleasure to be with you. Well, Dr. Wakefield, I think you've done wonderful with your path, so don't feel like you've missed. I think you've done a fabulous career choice and have done so much for all of us together, community as for nursing as well as for CRNAs. So no, no worries there. I'd like to ask you, during your time in the federal government, what did you learn about how healthcare is viewed in those circles? Yeah, that's a great question. And needless to say, healthcare at the federal level is now and has been back when I've worked in both uh, uh, the executive branch uh, as well as in the legislative branch at the federal level. Healthcare is and was then a major issue of concern for members of Congress and for, as I mentioned, uh, staff in the executive branch and executive branch leadership as well. There are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one of them probably, and one that resonates most, is the fact that in the United States, healthcare consumes a very significant amount of money, as all of your listeners would be aware. We spend a lot on healthcare in the United States. It's a particularly large part of the gross domestic product. And those costs and that spending on healthcare continues to rise. So that's a concern. And that's part of why there's attention uh, uh, to and has been attention to uh, healthcare. Those costs are important because they put pressure on families. They put pressure on individuals' budgets, but they also put pressure on the federal budget. They did when I worked in Congress and when I worked uh, um, in the executive branch of government, and they still do today. At the federal level, for example, you can see that um, programs can be put out at risk when those costs continue to escalate. Programs like Medicare. Medicare has 
significant under significant pressure uh, in terms of the Medicare trust fund. That is the fund that we all pay into through our employment uh, and to ensure that that health care is going to be available for us when we retire. But much more money for years now, both when I was working uh, in the executive branch of government and today, more money is going out of that uh, trust fund to, to pay for uh, health care benefits for Medicare beneficiaries than actually is coming in from our employ employed population. So that's just one example of concern. Another example of concern back at the beginning of my career in, in public policy was on then and is on today, care quality. More recently, health equity as a counterpart or even a part of care quality. Quality of care, of course, has implications for nursing and for CRNAs. For example, ensuring that there are enough CRNAs to provide care, to, for ensuring that there are enough nurses broadly from various specialties to provide care. And now equity is, is an important part of that. That is, we've got much greater recognition, more now than we did back in when I first started in my public policy work, uh, working on, as a staff person on Capitol Hill, more attention now to concerns, uh, addressing concerns around ensuring that the populations, all populations receive high quality accessible care. So cost of healthcare, uh, quality of healthcare, and access to healthcare. All were issues when I first started. They are all issues today. On the access front, just as an aside, access can be accessed via affordability. That is, people access healthcare because they can afford it or they have the health insurance. That's a component of the issue of, of that longstanding issue. And the other access is geographic access, rural people and populations living in small towns having access to healthcare services that they need as well. So those were the concerns in the late 80s and in the 90s and in the 2000s when I have worked in healthcare, uh, excuse me, in healthcare policy and, and the federal level. Um, uh, they are concerns now, different iterations, different points in time and perspectives and facets that are challenging, uh, but, but they're, they're probably the primary uh, drivers uh, of, and interest in health policy. I can't agree with you more. I mean, and more so with what we've seen with COVID and it basically unearthed all those issues that you speak of and in such a very poignant way, because um, I just feel like looking at it now in the lens post-COVID, you're, you're seeing more and more of where our gaps are and things that are potentially at risk if we don't start really kind of buttoning down and figuring out our access to care and the support of workforce shortage and everything else. So I, I totally agree with you. What were the pressing healthcare issues and initiatives during that time? And do you see those similarities today? And, and how have things evolved and changed? Well, to answer the last part first, similarities, yes. There are similarities and issues today uh, in terms of health policy uh, and, the, and the challenges that state governments and federal governments are dealing with. There certainly are similarities between what they're dealing with today and what they were dealing with when I was working, again, on Capitol Hill and in, the, in Washington, D.C., and then uh, much later in the executive branch for the Obama administration. My focus on the Hill, and this is really going to date me, but I'm going for it, were from 1987 to 1993 was a period of time that I worked on Capitol Hill and rural health, uh, ensuring access to high quality care for rural populations was a big issue that I worked on in no small part because the senators for whom I worked 
were from a rural state. And so that was a primary focus, ensuring that there was an adequate workforce, CRNAs, pharmacists, physicians, other nurses. Um, we worked on, on trying to address those challenges and supply uh, uh, challenges uh, by leveraging pro federal programs like the National Health Service Corps that would put more money into scholarships and loans for healthcare providers who would turn around and do payback of time uh, in rural and in, uh, and in urban underserved areas as well. As well, so um, stabilizing the rural healthcare infrastructure from the workforce side, as well as from the healthcare infrastructure side of the equation, both of those were really important. Uh, uh, in addition, at that time, we stood up uh, the um, Federal Office of Rural Health Policy that sits in at U.S. Department of Health and Human Services today, and has markedly expanded its portfolio uh, of both resources that it has available, as well as expertise to help lift up and strengthen and sustain healthcare in, in rural America. We also, at the time when I worked on Capitol Hill, uh, established uh, through lots of, of individuals and staff and senators' work, the National Institute of Nursing Research. So that, that didn't exist before I was there. It, it, it existed and was developed uh, um, in legislation at the time was that I was there. More recently in the Obama administration, I worked across all eight years of his term as a political appointee. There too, we certainly focused on ensuring access to health care, but my portfolio was much larger than uh, focusing uh, strictly primarily on rural health. It was lots of health issues, rural and urban, and frankly, even some international uh, uh, content as well. So in the Obama administration, what did I work on? Well, I worked on implementing com uh, components of the Affordable Care Act, uh, both to get millions more people insured, which was not something that I thought was a nicety. It was a necessity. When I was teaching nursing prior to coming back in to the Obama administration, every single year, as I was teaching nursing leadership courses, I was having to tell those nursing students a larger and larger and larger percent of the U.S. population was uninsured. It wasn't a case prior to the Affordable Care Act where we had a, a status quo, had achieved a status quo and uninsured, or we're seeing drops in the numbers of people uninsured. Those numbers were going up. And what we knew was lack of access to health care meant exacerbation of healthcare problems for people who could not afford to get healthcare when they needed it. So those are just some examples of, um, of, of some of the issues that I worked on, uh, both in the uh, legislative branch on Capitol Hill, and then also in the executive branch. I would say that in the executive branch, some of the other problems or challenges uh, were, were, of course, on workforce continuing, because that continues today, even as it did in the, in the late 80s when I was working on Capitol Hill. And um, later on, uh, in my last couple of years working in the Obama administration, I was really focused as uh, working as the acting deputy secretary for the entire agency on managing, helping to manage that $1 trillion agency and its 80,000 employees in that as a first nurse working in that senior executive capacity, but also uh, was responsible for some very challenging issues that is in trying to improve access to quality healthcare for particular populations, American Indian population being a major focus of my work, and then also uh, access to healthcare and other services for unaccompanied children who are coming across the U.S.-Mexico border at that time. So, And when I say unaccompanied, I do mean children ages 10, 12, 15, 8, uh, who were unaccompanied um, but coming into the United States. So those were, were areas of my focus. 
Well, it's definitely still a lot of the same. And you were definitely there at such a critical, pivotal part of our healthcare and how we pivoted and tried to really get those people that were falling outside of the actual support of the healthcare system. So that is one heck of a legacy that you have going there. So that's really amazing. The ANA is recommending the removal of practice barriers to allow CRNAs to operate to the extent of their licensure with the goal of improving access. Why should CRNAs be advocating at the state and federal levels? And do you have any tips for us on the association level, how we can be effective? Well, I'd start out with a pretty simple um, response about why why is it important for CRNAs to be advocating and engaged in informing public health policy at state and federal levels, and I might even go so far as to say even at community levels. Nurses from all walks of life, no matter what their specialty is, including CRNAs, all nurses have expertise that is highly valuable. It isn't just useful, it's needed. It is highly valuable, that expertise that nurses bring to informing public policy and informing policymakers. I would just say to CRNAs that many of them had more knowledge of health and healthcare challenges and solutions when they were seniors in their undergraduate nursing program than a lot of policymakers necessarily have. And yet policymakers are making decisions about multi-billion dollar, in some cases, multi-million dollar, multi-thousand dollar policies and programs. And that is not to diminish the intelligence uh, or the interest uh, or the commitment of many staff who work in government or many uh, elected officials who work in government. But it is to say that they are not, com- uh, by and large, are not coming out of the healthcare field. They didn't have an education in healthcare. They didn't practice in healthcare. So it's that fundamental. You've got people making decisions about nursing practice, about health issues of different populations. And they're coming to that with tremendous commitment and in many cases, passion, and they learn about it in as they go along. But where are they learning it from? Well, they're learning it from healthcare providers and they're learning it from talking to constituents who are experiencing these challenges. So it's all by way of saying, that they're, that individuals are incredibly smart. They're quick learners who work in the policy arena, no question about it. But that's the gap that nurses, CRNAs, and others fill. We bring our expertise and our experience to ensuring that those policies that are crafted are well-designed. And if they're not, that they're modified when they need to be. You can influence the care of patients you care for if you're providing, for example, pain management services, and maybe you're influencing care for 30 patients a week. Or as a CRNA, you can influence the care of 20,000 patients or 20 million patients, people, families uh, who are experiencing chronic pain issues, et cetera, uh, or in need of surgery and so on. Both of those ways of influencing health and healthcare are important, but one is not more important than the other. And both benefit from CRNA expertise, both leveraging our expertise at the patient care level, leveraging our expertise at the public policy level. Thank you for that. I, again, an excellent answer and love that you're sharing that with our members. On a committee of experts was formed by the National Academy of Medicine and was tasked with charting a path forward, a shared vision of future of nursing. You were on that committee and you contributed to the report called The Future of Nursing 2020-2030, charting a path to achieve health equity. Can you walk us through what the goals of that report were? 
Sure. So I'd say just a a couple of words about it. The report was released just over a year ago. So it's been out on the street for a while. Um, I'd mentioned earlier in my comments that that issues around equity and health and healthcare equity and inequity are important. And it's part it's a much stronger focus today than it was when I was working. Uh, uh, Even in the Obama administration, it was critically important, but it has not gotten the legs. It didn't have the legs then even that it has now with the current administration and with the current Congress, that many are focused like a laser on addressing health disparities and eliminating health and health care inequities. So that report was released about a year ago. And as you indicated earlier, COVID-19 has shed a glaring light on inequity between racial and ethnic groups, uh, between higher and lower income populations, and between rural and urban populations, for example. All of those um, uh, uh, differences really emerging uh, even more sharply as we've been in the midst of COVID-19. And so that's the context we find ourselves in right now. That Future of Nursing report, uh, 2020 to 2030, being so highly relevant because the issues that we discussed in that report have become even more relevant in the public policy arena. That report recognizes the relevance of nursing to drive toward achieving health and healthcare equity in this country. The goal of the report was to articulate evidence-based and expert opinions that would be brought to the table, inform the development of the report, and the strategies and recommendations to improve health equity in the United States with nursing, with nurses, the nursing profession being recognized as a pivotal component of achieving that aim, that is achieving health equity in the United States. So we talk in the report about how nurses can robustly take on this role of of really augmenting and driving and leading the achievement of that goal of achieving health equity in the country. That is and was the primary focus of the report. It's interesting that, as you pointed out too, that you guys had almost the foreshadowing of seeing what was going to be needed. And then the fact with COVID, when it happened, it just made it that much more relevant that you guys really saw into the future where we needed to be and things we need to address. Um, So hopefully now with with what's going on now in the communities and nationally, that we can actually address those issues and really come to some kind of health equity that's good for all and recognizes everyone. So totally right on point. Um, Can you tell us what actions have been taken and what progress has been made since the release of the report specifically? First of all, it might be worth noting that there are nine recommendations in the report. And so progress is what, when we talk about progress, we want to think about what's the progress against those nine recommendations. But I would also say this is a pretty substantive report. There are 54 sub-recommendations. So there's a lot of work there that needs to be done, not just by nursing, but by other stakeholders that that are expected to come to the table and support nurses engaging in this work. This is not all on nursing. This is saying, how do we lift up this profession that is so exquisitely well-positioned with knowledge, expertise, and where they work to really help um, reset the table when it comes to equity, health and healthcare equity in the United States. It's not just on nursing to come to this uh, on our own, it's with with support and from many different stakeholders, including public policymakers at the state and federal level. And we call that out in our, in in our set of recommendations. There's a lot that um, we can and and should be doing as the nursing profession, but as I said, we state very clearly, nursing can't do this alone. 
there's much that needs to happen to support it. Among those recommendations, the very first one, I think, is one of the most important ones, I would just say, and it, because it talks about nursing organizations coming together and setting this agenda on health equity. That is what needs to be done by the nursing profession, and how do we get it done, and what should be prioritized. That work has already started. Nursing organizations have already begun to co uh, collaborate together uh, in response to that first recommendation. It would be interesting to know where AANA is on that um, um, on that work. I'm not part of uh, that, you know, the work that's underway with that particular recommendation, but I would say it, it, in my mind, it's one of the most important ones because not any one nursing organization, as good as it may be, AANA, ANA, AACN, any others. There's no one organization that can drive this work. It's really a matter of coming together and bringing the collective resources and expertise to establish that agenda and move it forward. So that work has started. It started last fall uh, and it continues forward. There is other work that has been underway. The Future of Nursing uh, Campaign for Action uh, that AARP and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation collectively operate is underway in most states across the country. And if CRNAs are interested in seeing what's going on in their state, they should probably just go to that website, take a look at it and see what's happening in their state if they're not currently part of it. Um, because that's a convening power that, um, as I said, AARP and the Campaign for Nursing Action have together. And they are tracking, driving, supporting work uh, to achieve these recommendations in the report itself. And needless to say, with in the report, we talk a lot about what needs to happen with the diversifying the healthcare workforce and some of how that should occur. That means diversity within the ranks of CRNAs as well. That would be very important. So we talk about strategies for getting there. And we also talk about the incredible importance of adjusting and, and reframing the nursing curriculum so that diversity and talking about inequity is not one lecture. It's not one course. It is threaded through in a very substantive way all education of nurses. This is so impactful. This area is so critically important that it's not just a one-off topic. And, and we, as I said, we talk about that as well. And many schools of nursing have already started to advance that work uh, to make changes in their curricular training opportunities, including ensuring that the students are embedded within communities that may be low income, that may be racially and ethnically diverse, that may be in rural areas versus urban areas, so that we ensure that uh, students are well-schooled in the real life experiences of individuals that struggle to get health care. So that's some of what's underway as specifically related to the uh, report. But in addition, I would say, as I mentioned earlier, and as you commented, much of this work is happening now, even at the federal level. The Biden administration has made achieving equity one of their top priorities. There was a presidential proclamation about this at the very beginning of his term. And now you can see throughout uh, HHS, uh, whether you're talking about Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or you're talking about SAMHSA or, um, or any other part of the agency, every part of HHS has lifted up, NIH, by the way, has lifted up an agenda designed to address facets of health equity. So this is the time. The beautiful news is the consensus already exists about the importance of this. There's been a steady drumbeat of research that has drawn a direct link between inequities and poor health outcomes. And it's not all where nurses have always been and are today that is addressing poor health, mitigating against health challenges and chronic health problems. Well, if we're gonna do it well and right, 
We don't start at the back end when after people come in needing a healthcare problem, we start at the front end. And that's making sure that people are in circumstances and situations are working not just within nursing, but broadly with other partners uh, to ensure that people can actually lead the healthiest lives possible. And that means, as I said, not waiting until they, they land in an intensive care unit where I used to practice, but getting on the front end of all of this. And that takes you straight to addressing health equity. Well, to answer your question, we've actually done a couple things. One, the board of directors last year approved a three-year plan of DEI, which was basically educating everybody on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Another thing that we've done, as well as that, especially with one of my former guests that I had on, it was talking about health equity and actually reaching out into the communities and getting people into our profession where we have a multidiversal providers. So like when you go into the back into your communities, you want to see somebody who looks like you, talks like you, that can understand and that connection helps to create a better health equity for them because then they, they're more at ease to possibly open up and talk about their issues. So if those soft touch things that we're looking at, so that helps prevent, you know, create a better health equity for us on an anesthesia provider basis. And we have a um, couple of programs that are involved in elite program where it's going out into the communities to bring into that diversity into our own pro- profession in and of itself. So, yeah, that's, it's that's yeah. terrific to hear. And you didn't know that I was going to be interviewing you. I know. <laughs> Just joking. No, that's OK. It's what it's about. It's great. Um So my other question to you is, what role do CRNAs have to play in the future? Well, big picture, what role do CRNAs have to play? I would say, as as was stated in the Future of Nursing report, any nation, doesn't matter if you're talking about the United States or some other country, no nation can fully thrive until everyone, no matter who they are, where they live, or how much money they make can live their healthiest Mm -hmm. possible life. CRNAs have a role in achieving that end. That's the big picture. What about what we talk about in the Future of Nursing Report is relevant to CRNAs? Every single part of it basically is relevant to CRNAs. That is helping people to live their healthiest lives through all the nursing specialties, including this one. That has been the essential role of nursing, whether we work in a hospital, whether we work in an outpatient pain clinic, whether we work in a school or someplace else. Health inequities are systemic differences in opportunities that different groups have. And those inequities, those systemic differences, they're not cast in stone. They are things we can do something about. We can help eliminate unfair and avoidable differences in health outcomes. That's the sweet spot for CRNAs and for nursing writ large. Every single nurse that I know has seen examples of inequity. I've certainly seen them. It isn't a foreign concept for me. Coming out of rural North Dakota, I saw the difference that people would have in terms of access to healthcare from my small rural communities to urban areas. I grew up next to an Indian reservation. I saw the differences in health and healthcare inequities rather between the largely white population that I grew up in in a small rural town and the health and health status of the American Indians who lived on a reservation just 12 miles from my hometown. So addressing inequities is not a foreign concept, as I said, for any one of us, including CRNAs. Uh, We've all got a stake in helping to drive this agenda forward. So the good news is, as I mentioned earlier, there's a convergence of concern the report, the Future of Nursing report was timely. CRNAs certainly have a role in being involved. 
um, through their professional association and individually to advance this agenda. You've got the expertise. We see you see it in patients that you're treating. You hear them talking about the circumstances of their lives when you're talking with their family members and others. Uh, this is a bigger picture than just whatever that um, particular problem is they're facing today. It's in that broader context that nurses have learned from day one at the very first lecture they heard as a nursing student that it's not just about that broken arm. It's not just about that diabetes. It's a context in which that individual and their family live. So this is a natural place for nurses to be engaged. I wanted to just thank you so much for being a part of us today and, and sharing your insight. It's been wonderful talking to you. And I just want to thank you for being my guest, Dr. Mary Wakefield, for joining me for such a heavy and important conversation on health equity and nursing in the future. If you're looking for more information, we definitely recommend that you read the full report. The Future of Nursing 2020-2030, Charting a Path to Achieve Health Equity. And we'll include the link on this. So please join me next time for another episode of Moving the Needle. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to like and subscribe and tell your friends. Come back soon and be sure to visit ANA.com. Thanks again. <laughs>